0: Today's Old Testament reading is from Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 9. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. Twenty-three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in three pastures.
1: He leads me beside still waters.
0: He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake.
1: Even though I talk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear.
0: Prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning,
1: is now, and ever shall be, world without anger.
0: A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The word of the Lord.
1: The gospel lesson this morning is from John chapter 10. Verses 7 through 16. Will you please stand and read the gospel? Church, this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to that. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and will find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, So that there will be one flock one shepherd. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. We're starting a new sermon series this week in the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope that you do, uh, if it's a paper Bible, flip about ninety percent of the way toward the back, and you're probably pretty close. If you have a Bible app. Scroll all the way to the bottom and then go up 16 books, and that's Ephesians. Ephesians is one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul. To the, it was written to the church at Ephesus and to the churches around that area at the time, meant to be passed around from one church to another. The book of Ephesians is sometimes called the Gospel of the Church, because maybe more than any other letter, it speaks to y'all. When, it's, when Paul is writing, he's speaking almost always to y'all instead of like you individually. The words us and we are all over this letter. If, As we're going through this sermon series, I would encourage you to take the 20-25 minutes a week that it will take to read Ephesians from front to back once a week. And as you do that, you'll see the words us and we everywhere. You'll also see you a lot, but... When you do, you can assume in every situation where it's clear that he's not talking to an individual, anytime you see you, he's saying y'all. This is a group letter to the church, telling the church how it should be. Last week, I mentioned that in all of Paul's letters, there's, there's two fancy theological terms in, the, in every letter. There's the indicative and the imperative. The indicative are things that are true, regardless of whether or not you believe them, and regardless of whether or not you, of how you act on them. Indicatives are things that are true. Gravity is real. The sun gives off light. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not, these things are true. The imperative is what we should do in light of that. How do we live in light of these facts? And usually the indicative comes first for a reason, because you're presented with the reality of how things are, and then how should we respond? And so the first part of Ephesians is lots of indicatives, lots of things that are true, And it starts off with a bang. If you'll follow along, we're going to be going through mainly verses 3 through 10 this week. So Paul starts off with a bang in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us as a whole, has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, that's in Jesus, even as he chose us in him, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in front of him. This is the best thing that you're going to hear all day. It's the best thing you're ever going to hear in your life because it's the best thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. It's nothing less than that. Kids, listen to me. If you don't hear anything else that I'm saying today, This is the best thing that you're ever going to hear. That God has set apart a people for himself to be in his presence. God did this. Whether you accept it or not, this is an indicative. God did this. He's already done it. It's the greatest news in the history of mankind. This is literally the gospel. It's the kind of news that has to be shared with everyone. God has chosen for himself a people. Jesus rescued those people. And he's one of those people. That's why he says in the gospel, he's not a hired hand. He is the good shepherd. These people are his. He has claimed them for himself. And these people that he's claimed for himself are called the church. And we get to be a part of that. This news is too good to keep to ourselves. We have to tell everyone it goes on. In love, this is verse 5, in love, he predestined us. It's the same thing as verse 4. He predestined us. In verse 4, this decision that God made to call a people to himself happened before the foundation of the world. Before anything was created, God had a plan. And so in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That means with which he has blessed us in Jesus himself. When he was writing about this passage in the year 407 AD, John Christostom said, can you see as you read this? that none of this is done without Jesus. It's very easy to have a faith in God, this kind of nameless, shapeless, faceless God. Almost everybody can agree that this world was clearly created by something. But Christostom said, Can you see that none of God's plan is worked out in any way other than through Jesus himself? The Father predestined, and the Son brought us near. And this, he says, is why Christ is absolutely central to our faith and our life as followers of God. Jesus is the good shepherd, the the one who cares for the sheep, the one who laid down his life for his sheep, the one who guides them and rescues them. He lets us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our souls. This is what Jesus does for us. Verse 6, Paul continues. He says, To the praise of, of his glorious grace, that it's God's glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God's grace has been poured out onto us through Christ for God's glory. This was all done, everything that God has done, including saving us and naming us and calling us. All of this was done for his glory, for the praise of his glorious grace and for our blessing from the father through the son to his people for his praise it's a circle it's the kind of a a cycle of grace and gratitude from the father through the son to his people for his praise it's a cycle of receiving gifts and giving worship and it is the greatest thing that you will ever hear in your whole life it is nothing short of that Verse 7, in him, in him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. God forgives our sins. We are redeemed. Do you know what that means? The idea, the, the biblical idea in the ancient Near East, the idea of redemption. It basically means that we were orphans or widows completely abandoned and without hope. We had no one to provide us or care for us. But we have been purchased. That's what to redeem something means. We have been purchased. Our price has been paid, and that price was blood. And so each sin that we do, even the ones that we think are small and inconsequential, each and every bad thing that we have done has been bought and paid for, And we, ourselves, have been redeemed through Jesus Christ. So instead of being enemies of God, which is what sin deserves, we have been adopted by God. Adopted to himself through Jesus and thought of as sons. Please don't get bent out of shape by the idea that Paul here says that we are thought of as sons rather than sons and daughters. It's easy to read this and go, oh, Paul was a misogynist. He really wasn't. It's important to remember the Bible is for everyone, but the Bible was also initially written to a specific people group. And so in that time and at that place, frankly, sons inherited and daughters didn't. And so what he's saying here is that each of us, every one of us, man and woman, every single Christian is treated to the same kind of inheritance from God through Jesus that the firstborn son would get from a couple of rich parents. He goes on. According to the riches of his grace. He's talking about the inheritance that we get. The riches of his grace in which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. This is a really big build-up that Paul is doing. A lot of times in Paul's letters, well, sometimes he writes in kind of a short, punchy style, just a a lot of little short sentences that are easy to understand. But oftentimes he'll write in a more kind of cyclical rhetorical greek style in which there's a whole lot of clauses and phrases and each one builds on the last and that's what these verses are so what is he saying basically he's saying god has a plan god has a a will he has a decree and so that will and decree is absolutely going to come to pass it has to if we believe that God is all-powerful, then his, his wishes, his wills, his decrees, they have to come to pass. Because if they didn't, then God wouldn't be all-powerful. So, to those who are in Christ, to those who have followed Jesus, God has actually made known the mystery of this will of his. God has had a plan that has been unfolding over time and will, will be brought to fullness and culmination In what Paul calls the fullness of time. Cool. So, what's the plan? And then Paul says it The mystery of God's will, which is to unite all things to Him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan, God's will, God's decree. What will eventually happen in the fullness of time, in the time that God has laid out, that God will unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. The restoration of creation. At the end of the book of Revelation, this is the last book in the Bible, at the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus, he brings heaven down to earth. He stands in front of his creation and he says, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the plan of God. God is going to unite all of creation to himself. Heaven and earth united together forever. So what does that mean? If heaven is united to earth, that means that God is fully and finally with his people forever. They get to be, we get to be, all y'all, get to be in the literal presence of God in a way that hasn't happened since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when God would walk with his people through the garden in the cool of the evening. That's the plan. That's where all of this is headed. This is the gospel. This is the best news that you're ever going to hear in your whole life. And what, what is, what's our part to play? Even as we go through the beginning of Ephesians, it's six chapters, and the first half-ish is indicatives, the things that are true, and the second half-ish are imperatives, things that we need to do in light of that. But kind of sprinkled throughout are indicatives and imperatives. So as we read these first 10 verses and see these things that Paul has said are true, what's our part to play in this? We as the church, as the people of God, that he has called to himself. Our part to play in this is unity and holiness. It's been said that across the world, in every culture at every time, the two factors that are always present when the church really takes root, when people become fully mature disciples, and when the church spreads wide, when the church starts to grow and adds more people to it. Two things are always true. A deep sense of community and a deep sense, a deep commitment to personal sanctification. Sanctification is a fancy term. It means holiness. It means godliness, pursuing Jesus, being a disciple, being an an apprentice of Christ. These all mean the exact same thing. We We see what our good shepherd does and then we seek to imitate him. I was listening to a podcast this week by two Anglican pastor theologians uh, just outside of Chicago, and one of them, Father Stephen Gautier, uh, was talking about holiness, and it actually seemed really appropriate as we're getting into Ephesians. And Father Stephen reminded us that only God is holy. I mean, we know that. We can't possibly believe that as God is, as God is perfecting us and calling us to, a, to pursue holiness, that we are ever going to get there this side of eternity. Only God is holy. We sing about this every week. We we mimic the the angels from Isaiah 6 and from Revelation, the the angels that swirl around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty. So only God is fully perfect and fully pure. But Father Stephen went on. He said, think of, of holiness like a fire. Only God is the fire, right? Only God is holy. But things that start to get near to a fire begin to take on its attributes. So what does a fire give off? It gives off light and heat. Put something close to a fire, it starts to get brighter itself. You can see it better. And it starts to get warmer. And that's the pursuit of holiness that God's people are called to. So, two things that the church is called to. A deep commitment to community. That's the unity and a deep commitment to personal sanctification and following Christ. That's the holiness part. And so as you read these things, as you as you reread Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 10, and you hear all of these things that God has done for his people, that he has called a people to himself, and that we get to be a part of that, it's easy to ask yourself, why are we supposed to do these things? Why are we supposed to pursue community and holiness why are we supposed to do the things that the church is called to do is it is it for our own good and for our own growth that's an ancillary benefit that's an auxiliary benefit but that's not really the point we are not the end goal of this good news jay trailer's salvation is not an end in and of, in and of itself The Bible tells us that we were bought with a price and that we were adopted for a purpose. The Good Shepherd does not shepherd his sheep so that they can graze on the good grass and get fat and happy and die. They have a role, they have a purpose. So, why? Why are we supposed to pursue unity and holiness as the people of God? In order to spread this good news, in order to spread the name of Jesus. We hear this in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's to spread the name of God that we live the way that God calls his people to live. The idea of righteousness, the idea of living, of, of living righteously. We don't do that for our own benefit. We do it to spread the name of God. It's why we are called to actively pursue some things and actively resist others. It's so to spread the name of God that we give of ourselves sacrificially and generously to one another. Why we commit to living in unity with people that sometimes we don't even like. Because we get so caught up in the, in the secondary and unnecessary things that we can divide over that we forget the primary unity we have as the people of Christ. It's to give worship and praise to the one who adopted us for himself. When he saw that what we really deserved was the wrath of God, the wrath of God that all creation deserves that is turned away from him. But through Christ, he is not, we, not only get, we not only don't get wrath, but we get adopted. We get the rich inheritance that a child of a rich father would give. It's the greatest news ever. God calling a people to himself. The promise of God calling a people to himself used to be true for only two people on earth, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then later on, it was true for eight people, Noah and Mrs. Noah and their three sons and their three wives, that God saved in the ark. That was it. That was the people of God. And then, as we heard in our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy 7, it was true for a whole nation of people, for Abraham and his descendants, the people who eventually became the nation of Israel. But now, through Jesus that promise of God calling a people to himself, that promise is true for people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, for people from all corners of the globe. The entry fee has already been paid in blood by Jesus, and we get to tell this to everyone. As you think about the indicatives at the beginning of the book of Ephesians, all these things that Paul said God has already done, if these things aren't true then we have absolutely no business being here. The Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians, said in a different letter to a different church in the book of 1 Corinthians, he said that if Christ is not risen from the dead, that's the, the, the central thing of our faith, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then our faith is complete nonsense. But if God did this, if he really did call a people to himself to bless them and to make them holy and righteous, then we have to tell everyone. This little church plant of ours was started in the midst of a global shutdown. And regardless of your opinion on that, whether you think this was a, a, a good and just response to a virus or whether you think it was extreme government overreach, the reality is, for most of the last year, we haven't been able to spend all that much time with one another as a people. Thank God that is now changing. So, in the next few months, we're going to be finding ways to spend more time with one another, to reintroduce ourselves to one another, which will refresh us and energize us. But again, this is not the end goal. This church was started for the same reason that all churches are started, to spread this message of God. So, we very much need this time in the next couple months to, to increase our unity and community. refresh and re-energize by spending time with one another. Next Sunday, we're we're having our first Sunday spread, which might be a terrible name, and if you have a better one, please tell me, but this is the the thing that the Moors and the Kramers came up with. Every two weeks, we're going to have an all-church get-together. Bring your own food and just hang out. Spend some time with one another. Get to know one another more. Rest with one another and pursue the unity that God calls us to. So we very much need this time together. We need this time of reunification. But we need it in order to recharge and re-energize for the work that this little church plant has been called to, which is to spread this good news, this Ephesians 1, 1 through 10 news, to our community. And as we get deeper into Ephesians, as we hear about the truth of what God has done for us, and the response that we are called to to live out. If we believe this is good news, we will, by God's grace, be finding more and more and more occasions to tell other people this great story and calling more and more lost people to be part of this group that God is calling to himself. Every week after we receive the Lord's Supper, after we, we meet Jesus at this table, we pray the same prayer, We thank God for blessing us and for feeding us. And we say, and now, Father, send us out to do the work that you have given us to do. To love and serve you. That's the holiness part. The more we follow Jesus, the more we imitate Jesus. And that means loving and serving the Father. So send us out to do the work that you've given us to do. To love and serve you with gladness and with singleness of heart. That's the unity. We are all called to be sent out to serve God with singleness of heart, as one body. We're conformed into the image of Christ. We are drawn together as Christ's body. The church's primary organizing principle, the main thing that we do together is worship God. We do a lot of other things too, but the main primary organizing principle of the church is worship. The reason that we know that is because that's the only thing that the church is going to be doing after Jesus comes back, makes all things new, and perfects his creation. So, we worship God. It's what the church does. And we tell this story. We call others to come in and join this body because that is part of our worship. If our whole life is to be given over to God as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, that means that every single thing that we do is worship. And so part of our worship is to get sent out into the world and tell this story. If you believe this gospel, this idea that God has called a people to himself for his glory and grace, if you believe that, then this this news is too good to keep to ourselves. And if we don't believe this gospel, then why are we here? Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Holy and blameless. This is the best news that you're ever going to hear. This is the gospel, and we get to tell people about it. It was true for the saints in Ephesus. Paul was telling them that they were holy and blameless before their creator God because of what Jesus did. And it's true for the saints who are in Stanton. Paul is telling us that we are holy and blameless before a creator God because of what Jesus did. And that's the news that we spread to everyone. Let's pray.